Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Sour Patch. Sour Patch, good and sour. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of dinner. Unusual. Sour Patch Kid dinner. I'm sorry, my mouth is full of Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, this has got to be disgusting Delightful. to listen to. Sour. Can I? I'm not hearing anything in the... Am I in? Oh, I am. Yeah, you're good. We are... Um, yeah, I was thinking my sister, you know, we always talk about, wouldn't it be fun if one of your sons were a priest? And I just sent her a text and I said, this is what Jackson or Michael will be doing in um, 30 years. They'll be sitting with their buddy, drinking bourbon, eating Sour Patch Kids, talking about theology on a Saturday night at 1030. That's, that's what we do. It's a noble life. It's a noble life. That's what we do. But we... Uh, yeah, I was getting a little, I get a hard time from guys here about a podcast, a podcast, you know, as a guy said to me recently, he said, what are we doing with all this technology stuff? How dumb that we're trying to, the church is trying to enter into this technology world. And really, I was sitting with the Catholic Bites guys and we just made eye contact and kind of laughed because it was like, hey, you have no idea who you're talking to right now. Two guys who have podcasts and, but he was kind of mocking it. Oh, I bet you think you're a big deal because you have a podcast. And I was kind of in a sour mood, and I said to him, he said, well, what is this What is this podcast thing you do? And I, I looked at him, and I said, Mike and I just get drunk and record ourselves talking about theology, and then we put it on the internet. And he goes, what? And I was like, <laughs> I'm just joking. That's not what we do. But Similar. We, we eat too many Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, we, we just pass out. Sugar high. Sugar high and pass out. Yeah, well, here we are at the end of, uh, at the end of your fourth year here. I'm sitting with the oldest member of the Casa Santa Maria. So yeah, that's to give true. you a sense of... Older than the superiors. How much turnover. Been here You've been here than, longer than anyone. Well, except the, the people who work here. Personale. Personale. They've been here for decades, some of them. I have. Well, it's not entirely by choice. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a good place to live. You yeah. get good pasta. You get great pasta. I, you know, I'm living on the, on the fourth floor. And all of the hot air rises to the top, yeah. so it's it gets extraordinarily hot these days. But I don't know if I mean people in Colorado don't really understand the difficulty sleeping when it gets really hot. We have a humidity thing here, so people in the Midwest are we got some people who know humid air, but uh, oh yeah, but I also don't have air conditioning. Right, that's true. You do you remember living in the Yucatan oh. in Mexico? I try and you suppress sleep? that every day of my you life. You sleep in a hammock? Did you sleep in a hammock? I slept in a hammock. I, I didn't sleep that month. I just puked my guts out most of the time. Mm. It was it was absolutely... If you weren't playing soccer. Playing soccer, yeah. So Goble and I, <laughs> yeah, Goble like and I were down there. Memory. And Goble, they kept trying to sell Goble a um, uh, amaca matrimonial. That was oh. the uh, a matrimonial hammock. They were thinking he's kind of a bigger dude. He'll like that. But I was like, you better not be buying a matrimonial hammock. You're in seminary, and <laughs> that's, that's right. just awkward, anyways. So I think he bought it after all. I think he did. He found that it was Bronco colors hanging in his back slash backyard. University of Illinois colors. And uh, yep, he's got it over the pool now in the backyard, and he's he's living the dream. Pastor land. He's in pastor land. You know, pastors. So. Mike and I are, Father Mike and I are not pastors. We're kind of in this limbo state, still in school. But I was thinking about our pastor friends. Yeah. You know? It's kind of annoying how they think they're kind of the big deal now in pastor land. But I was also thinking, that's a pretty big deal in the sense that 
God assigns you a part of the earth and says, that's yours. Take care of that. Yeah. You know, because it really a parish is a geographic area. So if you think about it, like a part of the world is given over to this man and you're, you're responsible for every soul yeah. in that area. Not just the Catholics, but yeah. every soul. That's, and that's yeah, it. some people think of it as like managing the business of a church right. building and right. staff or something like that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's care of souls. Yeah. It's looking out for everybody in your area. And yeah. It is a big deal. Yeah, and they know it. Oh, they know it. They, they, <laughs> Father Brian, Father Greg, Father Matt, Father Nathan, they, they know it. They yeah, are a they, big deal. And here it. we are eating Sour Patch Kids at age 33. <laughs> uh, we'll be doing it at 43 and 53. Don't feel too sorry for yourself. Well, we're good. You know, all the priests, we're just trying to serve. We do what we're told. We do what we're told. We love it. We, we got a great life. We can't complain about that. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about a great life today. Yes. Right? <laughs> Oh, is yes. that a bad transition? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I see Sorry. what you're doing. I, I'm, see a little, what you're I'm doing. a little sensitive because I, I just blabbed doing. on for 43 minutes. And when you go over 40 minutes, I mean, remember, we, we envision these podcasts being eight minutes long. And, well, we uh, don't have a clock. We just have a crucifix well, what and did a we map. S- crucifix and a map. Oh, and a Swiss Yung flag. Region. Where's that Swiss flag? Swiss. I think it's in the other room now. Our Lady. Up there on the wall. Yeah. The... Uh, yeah, just a little sensitive. Forty-three minutes. That's a that's a long podcast. On you're not supposed to look. Well, what did we say? It was twelve hundred gazugabytes or whatever. It, yeah, it's units. Units. Yeah, we we don't know. That's a lot of units. We don't plan. We don't organize. This is a this is a true sign. Let me just say this: this is a true sign of the influence of a one Father Michael Rap on my life. Because before I met you, good influence. Good By influence. The way. Everything was hyper controlled and organized. So the fact that this podcast exists as this kind of just free-flowing kind of nonsense project. Hey, okay, look, I take issue. I did this last time, but I'm going to do it again. Your message, your instant message, the instant message is kind of old. What is this called? Instant message. I message. American online. Uh, <laughs> yeah, AOL. <laughs> your AOL. Yeah, You've got mail. It just... It just binged again. It just again. binged again. It's turning into our loon, oh. and I don't like that loon. I know. I'm sorry. If you can change it into a loon sound. I'm going to work on that. Okay, Just for you. you. Any other requests before we... Uh... <laughs> can I take off my shoes? Wait. You already did. Um, okay. Your loafers. So what, what I was going to tell my vocation story. Oh, I'm excited. I'm uh, excited. I, I understand that others have done this. So I did this a year ago. I'm trying to think. I'm curious what you're gonna name it, uh, because everybody has to have a, you gotta have a name for the Ooh. story. Mine oh. was "What a Long Strange Trip It's Been," which I is do a recall. reference to the uh, good old Grateful Dead. But you can think about that. You pray about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't. I don't like being put on the spot. No, like I this. know that's not. I like yeah. maybe like the the range of three to five minutes after recording. Then that's your hot spot. That's your prime. Yeah, that's when I name it. That's when the juices are flowing. Well, I think uh, yeah. But okay, so I I bring that up because I don't know quite. <laughs> how to proceed. Um, am I just supposed to tell my story or is there some sort of criteria for the, the, the form that we do on this show? I was going to quote a rapper, but I forget which one. You can have whatever you like. Who sings that? You can do whatever you like. You can have whatever you like. I forget. This is like circa 2004 now. Bottles on. John Grant, Father John Grant loved that song. Okay, yeah, you can you can have whatever you like. Okay. You can do whatever you like. Well, this is I'll your show. Tell, this I'll is your 43 story. minutes. 
Just start riffing. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have l- less units. Less units. Keep it under twelve thousand units. Okay. How about this? So the the <laughs> I don't even know where to start. It's like we're thinking of. See, here's the th- here's the thing with the vocation stories. Yeah. They're always supposed to be really juicy and stuff, yeah. you know, like really profound and really. Uh, and mine was like really slow and kind of dumb. I just sort of showed up. I'm more like, you know, you get the you had twelve apostles in the uh, in the, the or, you know that Jesus calls, and you get maybe five of their stories. Where where did the other ones show yeah, up? That's true. That's in the true. Gospels, you you never hear about a lot of those guys. Yeah. I think that's that's me. Okay? That's you. You're like, uh, I don't know. I just kind of showed up. Jude, the other Jude. I was Jude. there, and then the and then they were like, "Oh, hey, are you ready to be a priest?" Oh, okay. Okay. okay, cool. Yeah, let's show up at yeah, the show up at the cathedral at this time, and then say, "Present, present," and then we'll ordain you. Yeah, our our friend Goble, who we always talk about on every podcast, but he. Uh, he always hated that, hated that. And it was directed at me. The guns were out. I mean, it was like I was captain of the football team, dating all the hottest cheerleaders, and I gave up my sweet, awesome life to follow Jesus, and everyone's just crying. It doesn't, oh, yeah. doesn't have to be it's that. profound. No, we're not at a all right. life teen youth group night. You can just... All right, this is real. You know, this is, this is be... real. This is the real the real story. <laughs> this is like behind the... Yeah, but not very... Behind okay, the so... storytellers, VH1, right here. So... Um, I think, you know, like the graces of the vocation really began. And all of the graces of the Christian life start with baptism. So a lot of this stuff is going on long before we pay attention to it or notice it or whatever. But when I began to notice, and I can remember um, kind of waking up to a priestly vocation, um, one of the first things is that I went to World Youth Day in Paris in 1997. Mm. I was 15 years old. My parish uh, had a group with the youth group going. And then um, I had kind of become friends. I think my family was friends with, with the youth ministers, uh, the junior high youth ministers. Some, somehow I was connected. I wasn't very involved, but um, they offered to chaperone this kid who was too too young to be going on the thing, you know, at 15. So... I get in with this group going to World Youth Day. We go, uh, I mowed like a ton of lawns to be able to travel. But for me, it was like adventure. Mm-hmm. I was going to go travel. I was going to get to, you know, just get out of town. And had you been out of the country before? No. No, first no, time. no, no, no. We had done road trips to Minnesota. Ah. And, uh, but I I have an adventurous, like, soul, you know. You I do. I, I'm a wanderer. And um, this, yeah, it was one of those this kind of very appealing ideas to go abroad. So um, I went with this group. We went to uh, Rome for three days, and then we had a day trip to Assisi. And this is all before going to World Youth Day in, in Paris. So on that, on that trip, I got lost. I, I frequently got lost. And <laughs> the, uh, the youth minister of the parish has never really um, forgiven me for uh, yeah. being an idiot, the idiot that I am. But I often get lost. I got lost the day in Assisi and wandered into the wrong church. My group's not there. But I saw a line going down into the basement. And so I followed this line. And I run into this, like, body laid out behind the glass. And um, it was very strange for me. And I asked somebody, 
what's going on? Like, what is this? And uh, I think it was an older woman explained to me, this is St. Clair. She's incorruptible. She's a saint. And um, she's been here for hundreds of years or something like And it was just like a really strange encounter with mm. something more profound. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt something. It was like goosebumps, like just, whoa, that's really weird. And this is different than anything I had, I had known. Mm. And, um, and I, I mean, I've learned about that phenomenon since and who St. Clair is and all of these things. But I just had this sense that, uh, a very profound sense, that there's something very real to religion that I had never really considered. And maybe I was just at the right age or whatever, but this was a really profound encounter with St. Clair. So, uh, I would say you always had faith, though. I mean, from a little, from, from being a little guy, don't you think? Oh, I was and when I talk really to your prayerful. parents, they always, they always yeah. talk about... I think your dad even sent some of your drawings and letters yeah, to yeah, Jesus yeah. to the archbishop at one point. So mm-hmm. it was all there, but something in that moment yeah, just kind of... I was always, yeah, like a very thoughtful kid and uh, very prayerful. I always liked prayer. Even when I didn't like the whole churchy thing, mm-hmm. and um, there was something about uh, thinking and, and the thought of being able to communicate with God. I never had like an imaginary friend or anything like that, um, but I always felt comfortable kind of praying, talking to God. You know? Okay. So anyway, I'm surprised get, you didn't have an imaginary friend. I know. I have a wild imagination. My but sister had three: peacock. Momo and Silly. Those are the... I thought there was two. Peacock, Momo, and Silly. And Silly. We never talk about Silly. I don't know why, but yeah. Did you have any? No. I wasn't imaginative at all. I was just an engineer. It all shows up in the... <laughs> I was building with dreams. constructs. Yeah. Okay, continue. Yeah, so then I had that profound encounter. It didn't... Uh, it didn't seem to you know, affect life very much at that point. But uh, not long after that, um, I was I was in high school. I was at the Jesuit high school, and um, at the high school nearby my house at Columbine, they had this shooting. You remember mm-hmm. the shooting yep, at Columbine, yep. and it was really uh, very profound for our community and like a big deal. And I yeah. knew some people who were at the school, and some of my friends were kind of close to the thing. No, none of my friends were involved um, or were hurt or anything like that but um it was just like really shocking and everybody was kind of thinking about it talking about it and it was very disturbing for me because i think i'm i well i know i'm an idealist i'm just like wishing the world was perfect Mm -hmm. and always have been and kind of pretending it is and this was really disturbing like there were people in this little suburban denver world who are very very unhappy and who are very unsettled. And um, I wanted to explore that reality and figure out, like, why is that? And um, and I was just, like, at that age, I don't know, 16, 17. Um, I might, I, yeah, I was probably about 16. Um, but started looking around and realizing, well, there are a lot of things that are miserable about life and a lot of people who are miserable. And even in my little bubble of a world of... Um, suburban Colorado, you know, suburban Denver, there were a lot of people who were unhappy mm-hmm. and that I never really noticed. But I, um, I, I, f- I realized that there, you know, this middle American dream of everybody having um, a, a house with the picket fence and the two, uh, two children and a dog, and 
it looks really good. It looks like it's in order. It looks like it's happening. But there are tons of people with lots of lots of serious problems and frustrations and um, it just the the darkness of the world became apparent to me. Okay, so that was really a hard time in a way because I I started getting really frustrated about um, like the the relig- religious utopia mm-hmm. that I had sort of been been raised in or had thought the world was like this very rosy place because of, um, you know, the God who is love, who is present and was present in my world. And, uh, I had thought in a lot of people's world, but I realized that that wasn't the case, that, it, um, that God isn't everywhere, isn't involved in people's lives the way that I thought, um, God was. So anyway, um, I was, uh, kind of feisty and rebellious. I was started getting into, uh, just like exploring. So what is truth? What's real anymore? I thought you were going to say Blink-182, but that must have been later. No, 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 no. That's like part of it. I was trying to look for what's real. So I was yeah. looking at like what it appeals to people in a greater culture. And um, and I started to enjoy Blink-182. Um, not, they weren't like my best band, but um, Rage Against the Machine was one oh, of yeah. my, my favorites. Yeah. And I think part of that was they were so honest they seemed like exceptionally honest about hmm. life and the world. And there was some optimism in it, but there was also like real sharp criticisms. And I was trying to figure out like what is wrong and who who's to blame and like kind of looking for the right criticisms. Um, I was also exploring kind of, I'm, I've always been a bit of an intellectual and th- just like thinking out um, thought systems um, system, religious systems and looking around to see where is truth. Um, my whole, like the whole truth of my, the foundation of what I thought was true had kind of fallen away. And so I was looking around at what is truth. And then also where is real hope? Like if there's any hope at all, um, to be found, like where, where can you find that? And eventually after like kind of just going through phases for a while, um, I landed on, or just ran into two characters, John Paul II and Mother Teresa. And I started reading John Paul's encyclicals and Mother Teresa's books on prayer. And um, they were very, very moving. And I thought, these two characters have something different. Unlike, uh, they have, uh, unlike a lot of the people I'm running into, they have an incredible honesty and also an optimism that... um, I could only find one or the other. Either these people with uh, like sun, you know, K love optimism that it seems false. It, do, it seems to deny the reality of suffering or frustration or injustice or problems or people who just, just drive into that. Mm-hmm. Like my rage against the machine or my, I like this movie fight club and, oh, yeah. um, but just this like despairing attitude. Yeah. So question for you. Sorry interrupt did you have any friends who were kind of walking with you in this or was this a pretty solo project because this is quite a pursuit of uh deeper questions for a high school kid i was definitely not thinking about this stuff junior year in high school or whenever you were doing (laughs) this um i mean i had i mean i had my way i don't think i had particular friends who i was talking to about it 
were but I was observing on things. things yeah. I was looking at different people, you know, the way that my friends interact with things. Sometimes I could talk to a teacher. I was going to the Jesuit high school where they kind of teach you to challenge your assumptions about life and and the way you think. And I think that probably provoked some of this stuff, and you know, for better or worse. Um, I don't know. No, a lot of it I was just kind of... I think it's really beautiful. I mean, it's thinking like... Thinking through things. It's just very unique, you know, of like you, you were kind of... Yeah. Had this I, interior interior movements and these this kind of dialogue that was happening. Yeah. But... It, I mean, it was very dramatic at the time, too. But, um, yeah, so led to Mother Teresa and John Paul. And that led... That, that began something of um, a re-entry into church life. I started going to confession again. I don't know what it was that they said, but they promoted that... Um, attending mass regularly and even asking for daily mass. We asked for a chaplain to come to our school and then we had daily mass during one of the break times and I'd kind of sneak over there. Mm. Um, and, and then also started volunteering at a soup kitchen downtown and I would go, um, at first once a month, but then I started going on my own. The, the church would go once a month and I went with them and then, um, more often after that, but I just loved the, the characters I was encountering, they were so different. They were so, they, they, their lives were so different than my own. And I was really intrigued by their lives. Um, there was one guy, Chess Steve. Chess Steve. Oh, yeah. yeah Chess, Chess Steve. Steve. Yeah. He, so he. <laughs> I love this story. Please tell so, this so story. So he just like walks around the parks in in Denver, like City Park. And I I think it's mostly City Park or downtown 16th Street Mall. And he will challenge people to chess. And he, <laughs> he just carries a board. He's homeless. He just plays chess all the time. And he, he, uh, uh, he would come to the soup kitchen and lay out his chess board. And then I went and I said, hey, I know how to play chess. I'd love to play you. And he says, well, I have to warn you. I have beat <laughs> all of the greatest Russians in the history of mankind. And I say, wow, that's like, you must be pretty good. I mean, he says, but I'm, I'm happy to play you. So I would beat him at chess, <laughs> and then he would stand up and shake my hand, and he'd say, well, that's quite quite the accomplishment. I've never been beaten in my life. And then I'd go, like, uh, sorry, or whatever, and then I'd walk away. I'd come back 10 minutes later, and he'd, like, he'd say, uh, would you like to play some chess? And I would, sure. I'd sit down, and he'd say, uh, I have to warn you. I have to warn you. I have beaten all of the greatest Russians in the history of mankind, and I've never been beaten in my life. Ah, so <laughs> funny, Chess Steve. But to live like that, yeah. So anyway, there were a lot of these characters. I loved it. it the, something woke up in me about like service, and I, and and then this encounter with the sacraments. And I said, I remember making a prayer. I I don't remember like where or or how that worked, but I I want to do anything that that. Uh, you you want me to do God, but I, I, I pray that my life might be some, a gift of hope for people the way that John Paul and Mother mm. Teresa's was. So I, it was like just some desire for something greater that I, um, I wanted and I wanted for, for my life. And, and then within a, a week of that, I had been vacuuming rooms to pay for my uh, tuition at the high school. And uh, the guy in charge of maintenance was a, a Jesuit priest, uh, Father Dave Wayne. And he would give me an assignment each, 
each weekday while I was working on this um, work grant. And um, he'd say, go and vacuum the rooms on the west wing on the second floor this today. And then he would give me a prayer request and say, well, why don't you pray for this professor? They're sick today or whatever. And I didn't know. He wasn't asking everybody to pray, but he knew that I, that I liked that and I didn't mind doing it. So then you're like the Catholic goodwill hunting. That's what you are. Yeah, you're vacuuming kind of, all the floors and solving all the yeah, problems. Yeah, and nobody notices kind of on the side. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So he says one one day he says, "Well, I want you to vacuum these rooms, and I want you to pray about you if you should be a priest." And I just laughed. I was like, "What are you talking about? Um, that's like for old guys, and you know, like I I didn't know any priests, and I didn't really think." that that was something I wanted or like a possibility for my life. It, it was just not at all a thought that I had. So I went and I vacuumed those rooms, said a little prayer, got, okay, God, if you want me to be a priest, that's kind of crazy, but I think I would try it. And I had this great feeling of peace and joy about that, mm. um, that it, I kind of knew <coughs> pretty easily at, with that prayer that um, I ought to give it a try. But okay, I say all this, it sounds very religious and everything, but I'm kind of a rascal. And <laughs> in the meantime, I'm just like partying with my friends, looking for trouble, trying to get in trouble because it's more fun. Um, thinking very worldly, but just like, um, I don't know, just kind of normal normal high school life, running around, getting in trouble. And... Um, so I asked those friends who I really trusted and loved, but none of them were religious. And I was kind of odd that way, but I didn't really talk about that stuff much that I liked praying or I went to mass or anything. So I asked my buddies, what do you think? Should I, should I be a priest? And uh, we're just, I don't know, um, hanging out. And uh, they all said, yeah, 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 yeah. You'd be a good priest. You should mm. do it. And it was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Not the expected. You know, we're, we're never talking about this stuff. And then I asked my family, and we had never talked about anything like that. It wasn't like, you know, like a vocations culture in my family or something. And they all said, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. You should try it. So I was kind of like, I think God wants me to do this. There's doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of reason not to try it. <coughs> so I went and I found the vocation director and started talking about going to seminary and found out you can go out of, out of high school and um, went and talked to the bishop. I went, I, I said, I don't really know anything about priests, but um, I, I think I want to try being one. To so, shep you. Yeah, to shep you. And I said, uh, what kind of priest should I be? Like you were a Franciscan and I go to school with these Jesuits. And he says, well, what about like a diocesan priest? That's like the front lines. That's really the, that's really what we need, and that's what I think you should do. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll try that out. Whatever. I didn't know that he had like, oh yeah, he's kind of got his own interests. But yeah, he's like a navy recruiter with vocations. <coughs> I also like what I love about Shapu, and this is true for I think both of us is that uh, he took some risks on some pretty wild characters. You know, you were much better formed than I was when I entered, but yeah. He just loved us, and he kind of knew. Well, that. Well, not in agreement about better form, but well, he, but even he, you I know what I mean. Like he knew, any, like anybody that will come around, well, they'll figure it out, and they'll learn how to, yeah, like, I pray mean, and discern. I tell you what, when I entered, I these are all like I'm 
pinpointing a lot of the graces, but these were years with a few graces in right, between. Right. And I was very unformed, and I was still just kind of chaotic and crazy yeah. and wild. And that's lasted for <laughs> a number of years. So. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. God works with us like who we are. And um, that was, uh, it, it's fun to look back and see like wh- where were the particular ways that God kind of broke in to my normal selfish life and said, uh, kind of gave graces to want more mm-hmm. or to listen to his call. And um, that's different for everybody, obviously. Vocations are uh, are, are various, but um, in my case, it was pretty clear that I should try to be a priest. Honestly, when I went to seminary, I thought, this is crazy. But I had told God, I'll follow you wherever you want. And um, that was, at that point, like what I thought God wanted. But I thought it was also like, I'll take, I'll get you into the seminary so that I can like refine you, teach you to pray, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll kind of show you where, where I want to lead you. And I was surprised even on the day when they voted me for orders. I, if you talk to Matt Book, he, he was like elated and I was just shocked. You were just like, like whoa. Really? I didn't think this, I don't know how after six years of seminary or whatever, um, eight years, eight of, years seminary, of seminary. Yeah. I didn't, you know, like wasn't ready for this or something, but of course I was, you know, given to it and happy to do it. But, uh, I always thought I was going to get kicked out. For something. <laughs> so I'm still <laughs> just waiting for that on the other side. No, no, not anymore. Now I've become pretty tame, I think, but the, uh, well, I, uh, I'm trying to think that would have been fall of 2001 that you entered, mm-hmm. right? Went up to Minnesota. Yep, went up to college seminary. IHM, Winona, Minnesota. Yeah. Shout out to any of my brothers. IHM. I met you the year after when I joined. Mm-hmm. And I think, as we've said before, we didn't like each other for a couple of years. Well, we didn't live together at that point. That's true. But but uh, in the future few years, <laughs> we did. Little did we, we know. D- and we didn't if like we could have flashed forward and been like, God would have been like, that dude right there, that ski bum, skater, who doesn't want to talk to you, is going to be your only friend in the continent of Europe in 12 years. I would have been like, oh, my God, in the words of Chris Farley. That's the thing, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, I was not formed. At that time, I met an arrogant person. I would say, <laughs> I do not want to hang out with them. Now, I don't know what I've changed now. The, I've gotten to the point where I meet an arrogant person, and I say, oh, I think it'd be cool. Uh, all right, continue with your story. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think that's it, you know. I'm a priest. I'm happy to be a priest. I was ordained six years ago, and uh, I'm I'm grateful to God all the time. This morning, I had Mass with the Missionaries of Charity. This has been a great gift in Rome, is that I've always loved the missionaries. I've always had a, a, um, a great devotion to Mother Teresa and a great gratitude for her life, and now I get to uh, chaplain one of their communities in Rome. And this morning, I was just delighting because I didn't have to wear shoes for their Mass. Ah, the sisters, they, they go to Mass in They don't therapy. wear shoes, yeah. Oh, that's really smart. They find the best priests, too. The MCs, they have the, they kind of get the well, best. Well, I so. think they're desperate these yeah, days. Yeah, right. Now, I got a question for you, if you don't mind. There, there's probably some guys listening uh, to the podcast who are seminarians. and It's a long haul. Yes, it, it is. It's a long haul, and there's something about seminary life that is meant to really um, break you down and to really... Uh, 
to, to make you um, a man who is going to give a deep surrender and a deep yes because you've experienced powerlessness. Mm-hmm. So maybe just for those guys who are listening, maybe who are like in a place of just real struggle, wondering like, yeah. is this worth it? Like, can I, can I do this? Because we all face those questions. Did you hit that point at all in seminary? If so, when? And mm. how did God kind of bring you, bring you through that? Yeah. Well, I think um, I would just say, don't be, don't be surprised if it's hard. It's um, the Christian life is one of taking up your cross and following Jesus. And um, if priests are called to somehow be examples to the people of who Jesus is, God is going to help form us into um, into Christ with a, a share of suffering. You know, I think there's a lot of people who suffer more than I do. But um, I think that's just part of it. Even in the rite um, of ordination for diaconate, the church asks, has this man been duly tested? Mm. And it's always ambiguous. There's not any like particular strategy that a seminary will take, but I think God allows a certain amount of, uh, of testing. I, don't, I wasn't pushed in seminary. I rather liked seminary. I liked the guys. I got along pretty well with my formators. I know not everyone does. Um, I, the process itself was uh, rather delightful most of the time. I liked prayer. I liked studies. So that, that was all good. Uh, internally, though, I had a lot to work through. And there was a point it, after two years where I had started studying philosophy. And I told you, I was kind of like existential thinker and really got into philosophy. Um, but there were some thinkers that I ran into whose thought was really novel and challenging and um, Kierkegaard, Sartre, um, Nietzsche, um, Greg Graffin of the band Bad Religion, yeah. <laughs> um, some of uh, just th- that were asking really deep questions that kind of cha- kept pushing this question of faith for me. And there was one point where I, I think I was really um, going through a dark night of faith, and I didn't know if I believed. Hmm. Um, I wanted to because I had loved, I had fallen in love with Jesus, and then it became a question in my mind, am I in love with the idea of Jesus, or the idea that I've formed of Jesus, rather than some reality? And uh, faith was very, very difficult for me, and um, that was a very hard time, you know? You feel very compromised going through something like that in seminary. Am I a huge hypocrite mm-hmm. for staying and, like, pursuing a life of uh, priesthood and to be an example of faith when I feel like I don't have any, mm-hmm. you know. And it really hit ahead. I went traveling to um, to Paraguay and um, just to get out of town and to kind of like search and, and kind of think through th- some things. And th- it was th- there was enough freedom there for me to really say, I'm going to try to say I don't believe. And I was right on the brink. Uh, there were some things there that were especially difficult to um, to see, like the poverty I had never seen before, and some um, some kind of double standards and hypocrisy in their church that really really frustrated me and got under my skin. Um, but it, it was it was so challenging, and there was a point I remember where I I I decided I'm going to get out of the seminary. I'm get, but it, it wasn't just. It was like, I don't believe anymore, and I, I can't stay in this as a hypocrite. I wish I did, but I don't. 
And I was ready to go call. I was taking a bus back from this, this kind of day trip out to the, out to the forest. And then we're in a bus. We're going back to the town. I'm going to call the bishop. I'm going to call my parents. I'm going to um, call my friends back home who are in the seminary. These, you know, kind of people I'm connected to, and just tell them, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming back to the seminary. And um, and I had a rosary in my pocket, and because I carry the rosary all the time, I don't know why. That was just a habit for a long time, and um, and so I that was kind of the last thing that I hadn't decided and I was going to like give up my rosary and give it to somebody or whatever, some believer. And, um, I thought I want to just pray one last decade or something like that. Um, just to honor the memory of this thing that had been so good to me, this, Mm. uh, religious devotion that had brought me such joy and peace for so long. And, um, Praying that, I was moved with a grace of, of faith that was faint, but it was real. And um, it was just a reminder that I, it, wasn't, it wasn't that I had lost faith entirely. It was, there was a truth that I was recognizing. It, it was just um, that I was going through some darkness. And I don't know how to explain that exactly, but it was very, very uh, difficult. Yeah, it was very difficult as a seminarian. Um, so, I don't know, maybe that story would give, give some hope, but it brought me back. Yeah, that, that reminded, it was like, it was like Our Lady whispering to me, yeah. it's true, um, you know, just persevere. And um, things didn't, you know, things gradually changed after that. And But I was, I had a piece at that point where like, I'm going to endure this even if I feel like I'm, uh, I've lost faith for a long time. And that changed, like I say, fairly quickly. That's beautiful. But it was trial. That was yeah. a real trial, and it was a real. Uh, it was fairly early on. Yeah. Probably before that, before we were friends. That's a. Uh, yeah. Just thanks for sharing. I've actually never heard that that part of the story, mm-hmm. and um, you know your sincerity and your um, and your struggle is actually I think is very hopeful. Um, because I'm sure there's people who are going to listen, and I, it's it's resonating with times in my life where you had real places of darkness and confusion mm. and and doubts and fear and and uh, we all hit that, and God God permits that in His providence to to really test us, like you're saying. And so, you I think I would have done done well. I should say this too. I think I would have done well if I would have had people that I trusted to talk to about these mm. very very deep things. Yeah. But I always. I'm, with the really deepest things, I'm very careful because yeah. I don't want somebody to just treat it Trying lightly you, or yeah. blow it off or right. whatever. So, um, but I do think I'm learning with time that um, people, you know, other people of faith, uh, other you know, uh, priests, other religious people, even you know, parishioners who are fairly simple in their devotion can really talk about the deep things. And mm-hmm. um, that's important to be able to share that stuff. It helps us to suffer it well and to persevere. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you guys, you know, make good friends. Yeah. Who you can share these deep things with. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's what Satan wants to isolate us and uh, and keep us in fear. And when you start to talk about it with someone who's, you know, really thinking and, and sincere and authentic, I think that we're all we're all doing the same thing. We're all struggling with the same thing. And... There's no, there's no scientific certainty in the life of faith. You know, Ratzinger is mm. that great line where he talks about every person of faith has some doubt, and every every person who doubts God has the same questions. You know, 
Mm. So there's never the the just that kind of absolute certainty in the sense, and so we hit these moments. Yeah. But God provides. And not to make not to make it like every suffering has to somehow pay off or mm-hmm. something, but I do see that that experience really formed me in a deep way to be able to sympathize with people. Mm-hmm. And as a priest, there, you know, when people come in and they say, I just don't know if I believe or I don't believe or whatever, I feel like I can relate to that in some way that mm-hmm. um, I'm actually really grateful for that experience, even though it was really hard. Well, I think that if I was going to say the hallmark of your priestly life is your love of the poor, and I don't mean just materially poor, you do love them and love the orders that serve the poor, like the missionaries of charity, charity, but it's that spiritually poor, um, and you're poor in faith, you know. Mm. And uh, so I wonder if that, if God has used that to really, to not only bring you through that, but actually to make that one of the greatest areas where you're able to yeah, love as a priest. Because I think you do that. You do that for me, and you do that for a no, lot of other people. You. So very We're, nice. getting We're getting all sentimental. We're getting all sentimental. Well, that's yeah. what I found out. Well, Father Lebsock left a couple <laughs> nights ago, and we started getting real sappy. Yeah, we were. He's, a, he's got a soft heart oh, beneath man. layers and layers of muscle. But I think we get a little bourbon in us, and we start to get pretty sentimental. So anyways, it's a great story, and uh, yeah, beautiful. So thanks yeah, for, thank you. Praise thanks God. for sharing that. Yeah, praise God. You good? You got shout outs? I got I got a shout well, I don't out. Know where we are. Oh are no, we 12, we're 000? so far 12, beyond. 12,000 units. All right, I'll make this quick. I oh, got a th- big shout out. Go on. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Tim Poquette. Tim Poquette was my first buddy in seminary. I showed up at St. John Vianney College Seminary, not exactly clicking with my diocesan brothers, i.e. the guy on my right here. Mm-hmm. And Tim and I, I remember it to the day. We went to Alex Carlson's house, who was my roommate. I didn't know anybody in Minnesota and we were out on this boat on this lake in Minnesota and I started talking to Tim Poquette and before you know it he was like my best bud yeah and we had so much fun together we went to Peru together um, went to Machu Picchu and uh, he became just an absolute um, absolute character I I, I was trying to figure out how do I describe Tim Poquette to you he's like um, I've met him you've met him yeah he was at your ordination he came to the ordination okay you met him yeah He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. Now married, father, uh, and he listens to the podcast. Um, I was joking. He's the first and last Irishman I ever trusted because uh, uh, he is a funny, him. funny character. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out to my old friend Tim Poquette, who I'm gonna I'm gonna write an email. We're gonna get back in touch because uh, nice. he means people like that step into your life in times like of big transition and they become your family you know they ground you and they change you they change you forever and uh, you know we haven't talked in a number of years as guys seem to do but um, yeah Tim Poquette that's a uh, I'm happy to hear you're listening and your beautiful wife is listening as well and uh, we will be back in touch so cheers that's a promise Tim Poquette very good that's and I'll, uh, well, I can shout out uh, Matt Cook. <laughs> Matt Cook. Matt Cook, because I'm thinking of, you know, like reminiscing on yeah. high school years when God calls me to the priesthood. Matt Cook is one of my, what Brian Larkin would call, nasty friends. Nasty friends. <laughs> who gets you into trouble, and I probably got him in more trouble than he got me, but um, wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, good Catholic. We would get in lots of trouble every weekend and then we'd go to confession and uh on thursdays and there'd be a long line we knew the priest who was mean and no one would go to so we could 
jump right through the line and go right to him. Right to him. And uh, I just, I'm grateful for that. That's you great. know, to have a friend who would go to confession. That's with great. Him. Matt Cook, wild man. Yep, Matt Cook. Well, Michael, I think uh, next time we are together, it's going to be podcasting. It's going to be in um, back in Colorado. We might be tag teaming with our, our friends back home, Olaf and Bill. Oh, Bobel. yes. Uh, we're heading to wait. Germany in a week uh, for uh, a Blitzkrieg of uh, German studies, and then we'll be back home, and we'll do some podcasts, and then we'll be back in the fall and get rolling for year five for you. Here so, we go. Very nice. Thanks for ready sharing for your summer. story, though. Great. Yeah, we're ready for summer. So. And I've got all the tips from the last podcast from the guys back in Denver uh, on summertime advice. That's right. We've got to follow their summertime All right. Advice. Catholic Stuff Everybody Podcast. Everybody take care. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a good summer. Mm-hmm.